Okay, if you will, please open your Bibles to the book of Nahum. We're coming back to our study of the Old Testament book, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, seventh minor prophet. And if you haven't been with us, know that we have been studying this book that is about God's judgment. We're studying it right after studying the book of Jonah, and we're following up because this is sort of like the follow-up book to Jonah. Remember we said Jonah is more than a fishtail. It's a story that deals with God's grace in a great way. And Nahum is where God's grace is being, in essence, taken away. It's like the line is being crossed. And God has said, enough is enough. And we learn a lot about this because we're seeing a study here, a lot about God's judgment. But what's interesting is we're also going to see a story as we continue to progress about God's grace. And so you've got the balance of both that are operating in here. And I think it's good for us to see because it reminds us that God is a person. And by saying that, I mean he's more than one-dimensional. God is someone that that has what seems to be opposite actions always going. He, got, he has love and he has hate. He's got grace and he's got judgment. And as we go through this, we'll see both of those attributes operative in this book. Remember, this is written by a prophet, this book that is writing to the southern part of Israel, Judah. The northern tribes have been attacked by the people of Nineveh in about 722 BC. And uh, I know those dates sometimes become blurry, but if you just remember, it's about 50 years after the book of Jonah. Jonah has preached to the people of Nineveh. They have repented. It's the nation of Assyria. They are the world power. And Assyria has been then used by God to come in and punish the people of Israel, the northern ten tribes. And so we never hear from the northern ten tribes again. But they went too far. And we're going to study that in a couple weeks about how Assyria plays a big part in the whole Christmas story. All of these events, interestingly enough, play a part in the Christmas story. But just focusing on what we have now is that what has happened is that they go too far. There's this great scene in the Bible. It's recorded in Isaiah. It's recorded in the book of 2 Kings where they come in and they're, they want to go beyond the ten tribes. They come down to a, continue to attack with one of their kings, Sennacherib, and it's around 701 B.C., and God sends the angel of death, judgment upon him, and he kills 185,000 Assyrians, and they're all wiped out. But they don't stop there. Even though they've been saved through the book of Jonah and they, they're starting to drift back, there's no restraint. They're going to get worse. And as we studied two weeks ago, they get a king in the middle, I call it 600s, but it's 700 BC, Ashurbanipal, who becomes an absolutely wicked tyrant. And again, dealing with more than being one-dimensional, this is a guy that is very much into building up this community. We showed videos, and I'm going to show one slide this morning here in a second, about how he built up the city fantastic library that he brought in to the people. Can you imagine this is the year, like 660 BC, and you work on bringing 30,000 volumes? Now, when I say 30,000 volumes into a library, they were stone tablets. 
and and you know a lot of it dealt with the occult i don't know uh, if anybody did it but i told you to go on the youtube and and to look at asher banapal's library i think it was like a five to ten minute presentation you can go on and it'll take you through this man's library well he was a wicked king and he was very vile and so it's during this time that nahum says i'm going to send judgment upon you people and even though asher banapal will die it'll be around 611 bc when that occurs uh, with a Babylonian king named Nabopolassar. So all of these names, I sure, I'm sure, are being thrown at you. But, you know, what, what we have here as we come to chapter 2 is that Nahum is building on the fact that, number one, he has said in chapter 1 that judgment is certain. Now as we come into chapter 2, you, if you have your sermon notes, if you're visiting, there are sermon notes in the bulletin, that judgment is described and we're to learn from it we're going to learn and one author in the bible knowledge commentary a guy named raymond calkins i um, took his quote he said nahum portrays the siege he reproduces its horrors and its savagery its cruelties and its mercilessness in language so realistic that one is able to see it and feel it think about that writing how god has used such writing First comes the fighting in the suburbs, then the assault upon the walls, then the capture of the city and its destruction. And it is savage. And the question that I have as we go into this, as we go into Nahum chapter 2, is like, why would God put this here? Shouldn't God just be all about love? Shouldn't we have to deal with, should we have to deal with thoughts of judgment and punishment? But we remember, God is a judging God. He opened this book, God is a vengeful God, God is a wrathful God, and I know that times we don't want to hear that, we don't want to listen to that, but the reality of it is, is that God does come to a point where he says a line is crossed and punishment needs to be meted out, and, and what we need to understand is that at times judgment is very, very painful, and when we go through this chapter, we think, well, why would God do this? It's because God has allowed us to have a record that he is so serious about judgment. And, you know, we've got passages about hell, and we discuss those, and we know that people don't like to sometimes hear about that. But it's passages like this that just remind us of the seriousness nature, the serious nature of it. And, you know, as we hear about the Assyrians, and we hear about Ashurbanipal, I don't know if you get all riled up. <laughs> yeah we're gonna get the assyrians today you know they're, they're they're gonna get theirs they deserve it and i and i thought well if we can hit the lights i want to take you through this little slideshow here okay um about people who get god angry all right so here's seventh century nineveh this is this is the rendering drawing that one of um Oh, this is uh, from Archaeology Illustrated. I showed you a video that the Arabs have put together last week. This was a massive city, and it was you know, along the Tigris River here. I think I've got it right. Um, that, that they put together. And here is a drawing that was on a piece of fabric that from the 7th century 
where it was portrayed about Sennacherib's attack and how they, um, these people are, being, are, are Jewish people being taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Now, I, again, I don't know if that makes any of you guys angry. You know, you think, well, remember we looked at this one. This was from a relief that's found on a stone wall. This is a picture of an Assyrian, and what's he doing, if you remember? This is normal pra- one of the practices of the Assyrians. This is how they would skin their people alive. And, you know, it's really graphic. We don't need to go into all the details. But maybe you start to say, well, yeah, these people are really wicked. These people are really evil. And because and, not only are they... Not only are they doing wicked things in the world, but they're really coming after who? They're coming after God's people. And, and, and we have to remember that there is a spiritual battle. And it's important that you recognize that as we go through chapter 2, that there is a deep hatred for God's people in the world. And I know that there's different people that are attacked and you know different groups that are attacked all the time but we have to recognize there is this truth and we cannot run away from it that a lot of this was happening because there was a hatred of god and it hasn't stopped and and we must recognize like today um we have groups like isis beheading christians recent and you start to get angry when you recognize there is this hatred and this violence that's going out towards these people, and these people who have done this wicked act need to be judged. And, and you look at how things are going on in our society, and I took some recent pictures beyond just uh, ISIS is happening, things that we're seeing in our own country. 1999, these two boys, I think their ages, 18 and 17, I got their ages right, went into a school in Colorado, Columbine, and they killed people. One of the reasons they wanted to kill people school kids is because they were christians and i know that book came out she said yes that was out of that situation don't know how accurate that was but the reality of it is is that they wanted to kill christians they did post that on i think one of their websites and so you get like angry why would you do that sure certainly you need judged and then we just recently in the past um, year had the killing of christians in oregon and gunman slays who christians christians and you know, anti-Christ, and so gunmen slays Christian students. And then down in South Carolina this past summer, we had this church that it was mixed with a racial killing, but it got, we don't want to forget, they, he could have gone anywhere and decided that he wanted to do his racial killing. He goes into a church because he killed who? Christians, okay? And so that riles us, gets us upset. Why would you do that? Why would you kill Christians? Why would you kill any racial group? Okay, obviously. But around the world, I took a bunch of pictures of people that are just begging, please stop killing Christians. So this is in Pakistan. This is in Egypt. Stop persecuting our Christian families in Egypt. And then in Iraq, stop the genocide now. And, you know, when we see this, this sort of sense of, like, yeah, you got to stop these people, and these people need punished. And so here in the Arab countries and in Syria, stop the Christian ethnic cleansing very vile things that are going on towards christianity and i wanted you to see the pain is intense no matter when it happens so when you see oh wow here's that relief or that that drawing from the seventh century bc maybe it doesn't get you riled up but when you see the columbine you see the south carolina it does rile you up 
So if you get the lights, let's go into our text and understand a little bit of the passion that God is trying to bring comfort to his people. Remember, this is a prophet who's writing to his people, not only to send out this oracle, this judgment upon Nineveh, but to bring people that are believers in God comfort that, yeah, these evil people are getting theirs. So look at chapter 2, verse 1. The one who scatters has come upon you. Man the fortress, watch the road, strengthen your back, summon all your strength. And here's a series of commands. And if you have your sermon notes, fill in the blank. Judgment is described for Nineveh. Understand it is terrifying. And you could also put in there, painful, underneath it, you put painful. And so as, as Nahum is writing, he has, he has just said at the end of chapter 1, Behold, on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. There's that gospel message passage from Isaiah chapter 40. I, I think it's Isaiah uh, there's a 57 as well. Repeated in the book of Romans. The, Behold, the feet of the one who brings good news. And it's a, it's a message that's comforting to Judah, but it's also one that's going out to Nineveh, the people who have Assyria. Remember, Nineveh is now their capital. It wasn't when Jonah wrote, but it is now. And, and he tells them, the one who scatters has come against you. And we don't know which one he's specifically talking about. If he's talking about like the angel of, of the Lord, or more likely the Babylonian king. And the Babylonian king, like I said, Nabopolassar, comes in around 612. He's come up against you. <clears throat> and so there's a series of commands. I think it's four commands. Man, watch, strengthen, summon. It's like put everything into it. Try and stop this. You've been a wicked person, a nation. You've pushed your will upon everyone. You've walked all over people. You've stolen their wealth. You've raped their women. You've killed their children. You have just been wicked and vile. And now you want to stop this. Try it. And so all of those commands are like muster all the effort and all the um, strength that you can. Man the fortress, watch the road, strengthen your back, because the one who's going to come and wipe you guys off, who scatters you, has come up against you. Now remember, today we've looked at the archaeological ruins of Nineveh. There, there is no one living there today. Because remember, God has said, I'm going to wipe you out, I'm going to wipe you out so bad that no one will ever live in your land again, in your city again. And that's been true. The Iraqi city that's across, Mosul, that's across the road from where Nineveh was, st still doesn't have buildings in this area of Nineveh. It gets so wiped out. Look at verse 2. For the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob, like the splendor of Israel, even though devastators have devastated them and destroyed their vine branches. Remember, Israel's called the vine. It's in the book of Isaiah. It's different locations. Even in the New Testament, where God talks about Israel being the vine and blessings for them out of the land that flows with milk and honey. And, and in this message of judgment, there's a message that goes out, God is going to make everything better for Israel. Now, ultimately, we know today that's going to happen in the thousand-year reign when that leads us into eternity. And so there is comfort, okay? Obviously, if Israel would have repented when Jesus Christ came, they would have had all of those blessings kick in then. We'll study more of this in January as we talk about end times. And as I told you, we're going to have a special series on end times. But right now, just knew, know that verse 2 is a message of comfort. Verse 3 picks up, The shields of his mighty men are colored red. The warriors are dressed in scarlet. The, the, the chariots are envelop, enveloped in flashing steel. 
when he is prepared to march and the cypress spears are brandished. So <clears throat> the thought is, number one, the Babylonians would have put maybe red on their, on their um, shields. And the thought, too, was if they were metal, the way that they would have um, reflected light would have come off in a way that would have given, the, given a scarlet and a reddish as well as with all the killing that the Babylonians were going to do to the Assyrians, they would have been bathed in blood. And we know that when they do come in and they attack, they wipe out the people in such a devastating way. It's a slaughter. It's an absolute slaughter. And so, again, the viciousness of this. And then these, <laughs> you know, the, these spears the cypress spears are brandished you don't get all pumped up it's like me saying hey they've got an ak-47 and they're just going to come and wipe you out those spears were like like the most vicious spears of the day really strong they were able to just um, um, attack and not snap not break they were they were cypress spears okay verse four the chariots are raced madly in the streets the chariots race madly in the streets they rush wildly in the squares they appear, their appearance is like torches. They dash to and fro like lightning flashes. So it, it's coming, and it's going like, to be like rapid fire. It's going to be bang, 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 and it's going to be like wild. It's going to be things are flying left and right. There's going to be fire because we know, we know part of the reason Nineveh isn't occupied today is because they burn it to the ground. And, and, they, and the rushing and the torches, they, 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 they dash to and fro like lightning flashes. Because they are just sending their, their bombs, their, their, their fire things that they're throwing on them. And it's like crazy time. It's chaos. Now, I have been blessed to never have gone to war, okay? And I do think that's a blessing. But I have been paintballing with my son. <laughs> and if any of you ever get the opportunity to go paintballing, wear a lot of protection, <laughs> okay? And I'll never forget, I took my son and I took Quinter there. And we were out paintballing where you go out and you pretend like you're in war, okay? And I like the word pretend. And I'll never forget that Quinn and I were stuck in, a, in two places. We were stuck in a building as we were trying to take a mountain. We, they divided us like 300 on one side, 300 on the other, and we had to take this mountain and there was a flag on top of it. And all of a sudden they said, start, and the shooting went like crazy, and the bullets are flying all over your head, and you really, I remember Quinn, we couldn't move, we were pinned down, and, 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 and you know, the best thing about paintball war is, is that when you get hit, you're not dead, <laughs> I mean, and you got to play again. I thought, it was such vivid imagery for me that I thought, my goodness, if I was ever in a, an attack where I was being slaughtered, it's a terrifying feeling, people. It, it's just like there, it, there's a sense of incredible helplessness because Quinn and I got shot that day. <laughs> and, and, and God here is, is not using bullets, but he's talking about the fact that, that people of Nineveh, I want you to understand, you're going to be in a situation and it, it just everything's going to be running crazy. Things are going to be going to and fro like lightning flashes Things are going to be flying all over you, and you're going to feel pinned down, and there's going to be no escape. And you know what that, the key word here is? Helpless. And, and, and I'm trying to think to myself, why is God writing this in 664 B.C. through Nahum when it's not going to come up for another 50 years? Remember, it doesn't happen until like 611, 612 B.C. 
And I think to myself, well, maybe God, like Jonah, his work is trying to get the people of Nineveh to repent. For them to have their knees so buckled that they say to myself, they say to themselves, God is true and God is really bringing this judgment. And, and, and I don't want to succumb. I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to pray for his mercy. Well, the sad reality of it is, is these people in Nineveh, at this point, a line has been crossed. Their hearts are so hard, they won't repent. Pick up in verse 5. He remembers his nobles. They stumble in their march. They hurry to her wall, and the mantlet is set up. It's fascinating. Out of the ruins, they've been able to determine how well their wall was reinforced and how wide their walls were. And their walls were designed to bring great protection. And the idea that the nobles are remembered, it was that nobody escaped. Remember, we told you the story about how the king tries to escape, and they chase him down. It's just fascinating how accurate God's word is. And you can go into secular history and track this story down. Verse 6, I love it. And the gates of the rivers are opened and the palace is dissolved. There's the genius of, you know, this is interesting, that, that the Babylonians say, you know, the walls are so thick and so great, we can't get to, we can't get to Nineveh. This is such a well-protected city. But what they do is they come up with the idea is, we're going to use the dams. These people were pretty advanced. They had water dams to bring a reservoir to, for the water for the people. The Babylonians capture them. They, they, they fill them to the top. Then they release them. That rush of water came in and burst through the wall. And that's how they were able to burst through the wall and, and follow it after the wall come, sends this flood of water through the city. So it's just amazing because you study this and it talks about the fire that comes into the city and the, and the water. And someone would say, how in the world could you have fire and you could have water? Well, God's genius, of, he knew exactly how the battle was going to play out. Again, just attesting to his sovereignty, attesting to his ability to know what's going to happen. So look, verse 6, and the, and the gates of the rivers are opened and the palace is dissolved, and that's exactly what happened. Somehow, as they are able to go back and look at these ruins, they're say, able to tell that there was a flood there, and, which went with the, with the fire. So verse 7, it is fixed, she is stripped, she is carried away, and her handmaids are moaning like the sound of doves beating on their breast. So this is going to get the rich, the nobles, and even the lowliest, the slave girls, Everybody is going to be judged in this community. There's nobody that's going to be run to be um, able to get away. And when he says in verse 7, it's fixed, it is set. And this is what we said in chapter 1. The words in chapter 1 were emphasizing over and over and over. It's certain, it's certain, it's certain. You know, and it's like, I think of this and I think to myself, when I go out and I try to tell people about the gospel, and the gospel isn't just about making your life better. It's about avoiding judgment because hell is certain. It's fixed. God, when God says, my judgment is coming, it is coming. So verse 8, though Nineveh was like a pool of water through, throughout her days, like an oasis, you know, this is modern-day Iraq, northern Iraq, desert. But they, they took the river and they dammed it up and they had incredible abundant water supply. It was just a beautiful city. Though she was like a pool of water through her days, now they are fleeing. Stop, stop. But no one turns back. This is where the line is crossed. Nobody is able to defend the city anymore. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold, for there is no limit to the treasure. Wealth from every kind of desirable object. 
You know, it was so neat to go back and read, whether you're talking about Ashurbanipal or whether we're talking about um, any of the other kings from Assyria. They have writings from these people about all the wealth that they accumulated. Remember, they're a superpower around for 400, around 400 years. And they just keep gobbling up wealth, gobbling up wealth, gobbling up wealth. And they've stored it. It's like in their Fort Knox. Like we have Fort Knox. The question is if we even have gold in our Fort Knox anymore. But the, the, the thought is that we should have gold in our Fort Knox. And it'd be like if we went out and every nation that we ever conquered, we'd strip them bare. We took all their wealth. That is what verse 9 is describing. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. Look at, for there is no limit to the treasure. They think some of the, one of the greatest accumulation of the world's wealth was in Assyria at this time, based upon not just this verse, but on the writings of the kings for about 300 years that, that describe all of the wealth that they had accumulated. But verse 10, she's empty, she's, laid, she's desolate and waste. And hearts are melting and knees knocking. Also, anguish is in the whole body and all their faces are grown pale. That's what, what descriptive writing. There's a sense where you feel like this is it and destruction has happened. And there's nothing that you can do. It's just like your knees are knocking. And you ever like watch a scary movie in the house and you're the only one there? It's like, I don't like to do that, but you just don't want to do it. But I mean, it's worse than that. It's like you're in the house alone and you know that somebody's broken into your house and they're coming to get you and you don't have any weapon to protect you. And there's nothing that you can do. And you know it's going to come and you know it, it's going to be a bad situation. That's what we're talking about. And, and, and God is saying, you know, that the hearts are melting it's like they're falling down. There's nothing for them to do. There's, it's just a sad situation. And to me, you know, I think of the verse in the Bible that talks about the people being thrown into hell what, where there's what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, why does God put this in here? He wants us to understand this judgment is serious. He, and, and he wants us to know vengeance is mine in the sight of the Lord. These people are going to get it. These, remember, these were people who were skinning people alive. These aren't just your I don't say, average, normal hater of God. They were very vile, very wicked people. Verse 11, after we learn that their faces are grown pale, the blood has gone out. Now, where is the den of lions and the feeding place of the young lions? Where the lion, lioness, and lion clubs proud with nothing to disturb them? You know, when a lion feels like it's at rest, I mean, totally secure, it can rest. Ironically, the Assyrians, like the Babylonians, used the lion to promote their power. We know that they had walls decorated with lions. So here, God's saying, you, you know, the lion's the king of the jungle, strong. But where's the lion now? Where's the power now? Verse 12, the lion tore enough for his cubs, killed enough for his lionesses, and filled his lairs with prey and his dens with the torn flesh. But behold, verse 13, I'm against you, declares the Lord of hosts. I will burn up her chariots in smoke. A sword will devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the land, and no longer will the voice of your messengers be heard. And that's exactly what happened. And that's exactly what happened. And so God's judgment is certain, and 
when you understand something that causes you to go pale, your knees to knock, think about that in your own life. What would it take for you to hear news that would bring that about or some impending danger? That is intense judgment. But remember, there's two groups listening to this. There's two groups. This is what I want you to do. Number one, or point two, you can learn from judgment, so be warned. Fill in the blank for point two A, be warned. Those who are God's enemy must listen to this passage and understand they are warned. For God's long-suffering, God is long-suffering, but his patience does run out. To think of God only as benevolent and loving would be a horrible mistake, okay? I won't have you turn there for sake of time, but John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he, for, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should what? Not perish. The word perish, remember, isn't just a word that means die. It's a Greek word that conveyed the thought of losing everything. Losing everything. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul, right? And in essence, loses everything. We must understand Quickly, just let me just take you through this three passages. Matthew chapter 10. Take, go turn in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 10. Just passages that you must remember. Passages that, you know, how to win friends and influence people. But it's, it, these are passages that remind us of the character of God. God says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God wants us to remind us to be warned. He will throw people to hell. All right? Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter, <coughs> chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And, and understand, in Revelation chapter 6, the, the tribulation judgments begin. The seal, trumpet, and bold judgments and remember, we've said theologically, these are because God is spanking the world and saying, listen, you better get your act together because ultimate judgment is about to occur. And, and when we come to, um, I'll just say the fourth seal, all the seals are being broken. But verse 7 of chapter 6, when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard a voice from the, uh, of the fourth living creature saying, come. I looked and behold, an ashen horth, and he who sat on it had the name death. And Hades was following him. Authority was given to, to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine and with pestilence and wild beasts of the earth. One fourth of the world's population dies in these judgments. We're not going to go through all of them, but in chapter 8 are when the trumpet judgments begin, and it's a third. So if we just start, we're at 7 billion people. It's close to what? Um, 2 billion people in the first judgment, maybe 3 billion people in the, in the second judgment, and then everybody else that is still against God will be killed when we come to the end of the bold judgments. God is absolutely serious about judgment. Be warned. And then finally, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. Well, I'll pick up in verse 14. This is after the great white throne judgment. God says in verse 14, Revelation chapter 20, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so as we talk about judgment, we need to be warned. We need to know God is serious. God is someone that is serious about this. But at the, So please, if you're a believer... 
take the warning out because we love people. We care for them. We don't want to just hit them over the head with this, but we want them to come to Christ. But if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, be warned. It's important that you turn today to God in faith, believing that Jesus is God and man who died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and rose on the third day. Unless you turn and repent, judgment is certain. Just like it was for Nineveh, it is certain for you. And fill in the blank for the third point. We'll just do this quickly. You can learn from judgment, so be comforted. And what do I mean by this, about being comforted? It's that it's a message that God is going to repay. And you say, what do you mean? How can I be comforted by that? Well, again, picking up the intensity. If your children were killed at Columbine, if your friends or family were killed in Oregon or South Carolina, or if you were someone in Pakistan or Egypt and your fellow family member was killed in such a way, there'd be more intensity. But, and so understand that, that there's a reason why, and you just jot these verses down, Psalm 137, the imprecatory psalms, psalms that are calling for judgment are written. Psalms that, that call for God to repave the evil. And then there's passages that our God is trying to constrain us, like in Romans chapter 12, where God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. You don't take it. You must trust that God could perfectly mete out his judgment and his, his, his retribution for evil. And just remember that God, throughout the book of Revelation, whether it's in Revelation 7 or Revelation 19, will talk about the fact that he is going to repay evil. And the people who do evil are not going to get away for it with it. And so today, this is what I want to leave you with. We don't have Assyrians to go take the message of Nahum to in the same sense with Ashurbanipal as their king. We know that the, the Assyrians are part the, of the, where Iraq is and even might maybe part of where Iran is today, but different people, different groups. But today is God is calling all of us to tell people about judgment and to warn them. And so I'm thankful that we have evangelism teams. I'm thankful that we have tracks and you care, but please do not stop warning people but today i'd also say to you be warned as i said before because god is a patient god but if you turn back to nahum and we just wrap up with these verses you see nahum chapter one verse two a jealous and avenging god is the lord the lord is avenging and wrathful nahum chapter one verse two a jealous and avenging god is the lord the Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. You say, well, we're in an age of grace. Absolutely. The, the age of grace isn't that God stopped being vengeful, wrathful, angry. It's that he's not doing it now. But his patience is, is wrapping up. It will wrap up and all who are against him will be judged. And amazingly, what happened on a physical level to Nahum it's just the beginning of what happens on the spiritual level in a place called hell. So please don't end up there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words that you gave us as a historical picture of the truth and the accuracy of your judgment. Truly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is the beginning of knowledge. I pray that we have that fear and that all today live in a way to truly, truly respect you. God, Evil people do wicked things. And I don't know if anyone here is in the process of struggling with forgiveness 
where someone has done something to them, maybe even killed someone in their family. Help them to have the restraint not to take vengeance, to trust you, to be someone that can trust you to take care of it. I don't know how you want us to balance it all the time in the sense of being comforted in the sense to know that you're going to get that retribution. If you, you've told us in Proverbs not to have joy when our enemy falls. But may we have peace in the sense that, to know today that no one gets away with anything. And may that even teach all of us to stay all the more humble. We thank you, Lord, as believers in Jesus Christ for the hope that one day you'll wipe every tear from our eyes. How we pray that even today that would be occurring. In Jesus' name, amen.